Welcome to the Investment Turnaround. In this podcast series, Dr. Mariana Bosazan interviews world-renowned investors, scientists, and other personalities who share their solutions toward the sustainable transformation of our financial systems. Today, I have the great pleasure to welcome back to our program Professor Ernst Ulrich von Weizsäcker. He's an icon of the sustainability movement and is a former member of the German parliament. He was president of the International Club of Rome, as well as a professor at several universities and institutes, including the UN Center for Science and Technology. He is the founder of the Wuppertal Institute, which he developed into a leading think tank on energy efficiency, material flows and climate policy. Professor von Weizsäcker, welcome back to our program. It's a pleasure to have you here. Hi, Mariana. Very glad to be with you. Two years ago, you published um, the book, Come On, as a report to the Club of Rome. And in it, you basically summarized your own and uh, opinion and that of your co-author, uh, the co-president of, uh, of, the, your, of the Club of Rome, Anders Wickmann, and that of the 32-plus contributors. Can you give us a short insight, a short summary on, first of all, on what Come On is all about, and number two, how successful has the message of the book been thus far? You know, the Club of Rome has published a book 48 years ago, The Limits to Growth, which was wonderful. It was shocking, of course, but it is in a way outdated. You know, they were talking about pollution and they meant at the time local pollution. They didn't talk about climate. And several other things are a bit outdated. So we felt as co-presidents of the Club of Rome, Anders Wickmann and myself, that we should kind of update the message, not just new models, but also the substantive side. And one point on which Anders Wickmann is a much better expert than I is the financial sector. The financialization of the world since roughly 1990 has changed the economic reality and then the ecological reality dramatically. And we began to realize that under the current conditions, finance has changed its meaning against earlier times. So this is one part of the book, Come On. Another part is we need a fundamental new thinking. We even talk about a new enlightenment. The old enlightenment is a bit, uh, you know, fluffy and problematic in, in our days. And we talk about what we can do. And you, Mariana, have, contrib have contributed a wonderful chapter on impact investment, which is a great innovation in the investment community. And it shows that investors can help making the situation a lot more amenable for people and for nature. So this 
in a very short way is the idea of the book. But then, you know, let me briefly talk about the change that happened chiefly during the last 50 years. Um, in the earlier times, finance, money, capital was a good thing. It was a wonderful thing. It was good. You could buy milk, you could buy a house, you could do all these things. You can trading and uh, being so, doing something that everybody needs. So finance was a very positive connotation thing. But then came chiefly 1990 or so, a turnaround, the financialization, where all of a sudden finance dominated everything. In the Club of Rome we had a wonderful Belgian banker, Bernard Littard. He calculated for us the situation that today, that was 10 years ago but still more or less the same, Every day, roughly $4 trillion are racing around the world. And only 2% of that money is used for purchasing goods and services. And 98 is pure speculation. So, these speculators, the casino goers, are dominating the real world and they don't think long term. They think in milliseconds, you know, and this can be absolutely destructive. Now, in the world of investors, of finance managers, there are, of course, very responsible people like you who think, let us think more long-term, as it was the case 50 years ago, and then make a decision in favor of what is good for nature and humanity and for the future, not only for the next 20 milliseconds, you know. So that is the big difference. Now, as I say, I repeat, Good investors exist today, like you, and help making the goods of finance working again for the, good, for the better world. That's great. But this is not enough for a control. Therefore, I have been sort of preaching, if you wish, since 30 years or so, we need a situation where prices and the market tell the ecological truth. You know, 30 years ago, the Soviet Union collapsed. And then people were speaking with me and asking, what has happened? And I said, well, communism made one very big mistake. They didn't allow prices telling the economic truth leading to a huge wastefulness. But then I said, wait a minute, you are a lovely capitalist. Capitalism 
will go down under if you don't allow prices telling the ecological truth because then it becomes profitable destroying nature. This can't be. So the so-called externalities, the costs that also occur from our doing have to be represented in the prices. That makes green investment, ecological behavior, lifestyles, uh, choice of goods and services, a lot more profitable than those that are destructive. You know, today, today if you own a forest, your biggest quarterly report is cutting down old trees, but then they are gone. So this also has to be corrected. Now, part of my proposal, political proposal, it's also in the book, in the Come On book, is an ecological tax reform, where we say, let's rather tax what we don't want and untax or reduce taxes for what we want. I was a member of, of parliament in uh, Germany and uh, I was helpful to the then finance minister in um, defining the ecological tax reform so that in very small steps energy became more expensive and labor costs less expensive. So for the investor, for the manager, it became more profitable to lay off kilowatt hours instead of people. This system has saved and created some 300,000 jobs in Germany. Isn't that great? And of course, it's not very popular. People don't like um, more expensive energy, but jobs in a sense, are much more important than small changes in the energy price. So if we do that in a long-term trajectory, you would see all investors investing into something that is profitable five years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, 20 years from now. So you get the investors community on your side for the long-term kind of thinking. This, of course, has to be politically agreed. In democracies, it is not all that easy, but still democracy is a lot better than dictatorship. And uh, so I'm, at the end of the day, like we all in the Club of Rome, optimistic that with good reason, good company, good persuasion, etc., we can do what our grandchildren want us to do. Yeah, let's hope so. So the question is, we only have 10 more years, we've been told, as we're being told by scientists, to implement the UN SDGs or other measurement criteria within the planetary boundaries to set ourselves, our systems up in such a way that uh, we we don't burn on this planet. What, from your perspective, what is the likelihood that we will be able to implement 
the new me metrics, measurement criteria and, and, and requirements that you are talking about within the, the right time frame, given the current situation? Well, Mariana, look, I'm not a prophet. <laughs> I'm just saying uh, we as scientists and Club of Rome have to work on our partners in politics, in the journalism, and, uh, in business, etc., saying how urgent it is. Um, imagine that the sea level is rising so much that coastal cities get into deep troubles. The costs of that are so much bigger than the costs of a little uh, higher energy or carbon dioxide price. You know, that's a persuasion kind of thing. And if journalists worldwide, except perhaps in Saudi Arabia or Poland or other um, fossil fuel uh, countries, um, will agree that for the benefit of posterity, we absolutely need to do it quickly. But in sufficiently small steps so that uh, not the poor people are suffering or you have a big emigration of uh, industries into the dirty countries. So that is a matter of persuasion. And if we are good at that, not only we, but also our friends, Fridays for Future, etc., um, then I'm basically optimistic that we can use those 10 years until 2030 for keeping the opportunity of just one and a half degrees Celsius above uh, earlier uh, times. And then I believe we have a very good chance of having a happy world in 50 years from now. Let's hope so. And this is this this program actually tries to contribute to exactly that. So, yeah. from uh, from from your point of view, how do you assess the the financing sustainable growth initiative of the of the European Commission right now? Do you how do you see that? Is that a step in the right direction? Um, what is your opinion? I was very positively surprised seeing the new president, Ursula von der Leyen, uh, taking climate and long-term thinking as the first big statement. And then, of course, came the uh, COVID-19 crisis but even there, she and Franz Timmermans and others in the commission were so um, clever, saying we must have the priority for investment so that our grandchildren will be happy. And of course, we also have to make sure that our short-term future is safe. So I believe it's a compromise, and basically I'm all in favor. Yeah, good. Yeah, me too. So I think it's a move in the right direction. And uh, as you know, there are three major areas, the taxonomy, uh, the benchmarks, and the disclosures, yeah. which are um, in a very important part of it 
from my perspective as an investor, why I see what the, the biggest fault line is that uh, for profit only, the financial goal is the only one that is being taken into consideration right now. And so we need to, to shift that to include people and the planet in what form, whatever. Um, and the disclosure aspects are extremely important. And of course, the benchmarks against what are we measuring our, our success? For, for the longest time, um, before I got involved deeply into what we call the impact investing, which I think uh, should be called the integral investing because we need to integrate all the aspects and not just one, which mostly is understood as social investing uh, in Germany at least, or everyone picks and chooses the UN SDGs that they like and leave the others out. So from my perspective, we need an integrative approach to, uh, to investing into finance that... Um, within the planetary boundaries. So we we pick a few priorities for the next 10 years so that we set our systems up so we can thrive and create a well-being economy. What I'm trying to say is in when it comes to uh, financing sustainable growth, and, and uh, we could question the, the terms, I think the most important aspect is to add to the for-profit-only criterion for success, which is the only one, the only measurement criterion for now, the people and the planet aspects, uh, in what form of the other, which I, uh, I, uh, I know that the taxonomy is trying, trying to do. So what I'm trying to say is, how can we shift the mindset that the success, the financial success is the only measurement criterion for success? And how can we add the other factors to the criteria, to the, uh, to the measurement, to the metrics. Because for the longest time, I, I really thought, as you said, you know, financial people are good people and they don't really mean it uh, bad. But as long as they get measured by a for-profit only financial criterion, then they will have to create, to generate financial profit at the expense of all the other criteria. So that's, that's, a, that's the key. That's from my perspective. This is what I've been fighting uh, for over the past 20 years, ever since I embarked on this journey. And I find that extremely difficult. Uh, so, and we will go n later on to the mind shift, like what needs to happen in people's minds in order to move in the right direction and not pick and choose whatever we like. Look, I very much like your triple P, planet, people, profit. And I would insist it has to be in this hierarchy. Um, it's not symmetric. Of course not. Uh, profits have to be an instrument for people. And people are dependent on planet. If we destroy the planet, there is no profit and no people left, you know? So that's the top priority, which, of course, is not very popular. People just take it for granted and don't think of a destroyed planet. This is what the Club of Rome uh, keeps saying. So that's needed. Well, the motives, in my view, are the following. First, well-meaning and 
responsibility. Okay, yes. Second, the knowledge that our technology can move in a direction where we have just as much or even more wealth and welfare with a lot less um, damage, a lot less resource use, a lot, lot less energy use. I mean, when I was member of parliament, we also adopted the so-called feed-in tariffs law in Germany, which made solar and wind profitable. It was not before. So you have new millionaires working on renewable energies, which is a great thing. But that's not enough. The other agenda is energy efficiency. Together with my friend Amory Lovins from America, and later with my Australian friend Charlie Hargroves, we wrote books, Factor 4 and later Factor 5, in which we demonstrate that a five-fold increase of energy and material productivity is technically available, you know? Uh, my, my wife and I, we are living in a house, a so-called passive house, in which our heating energy is one-tenth uh, of what an ordinary house needs in cool Germany, you know. First-class insulation, heat exchange ventilation, and you need hardly any external energy. This is existing technology. Or the same with the LED uh, light bulb instead of the old incandescent light bulb. It's a factor of 10. On average, a factor of five. And that means that all that rubbish quack about a huge energy demand will just disappear. We don't need so much. It's wastefulness. So a new kind of technology is a big, big motive also for investors. So, and then of course, the state can help making the transition to efficiency and renewable energies faster, uh, the financial conditions. So that I believe should suffice to bring the investors community in a direction that our grandchildren will applaud. I'm, I'm totally up for you. I, I dedicated, uh, we dedicated our entire life and to whatever it is that we've produced to, to, the, to achieve this mean. So I, my goal is to, with this program, also to um, help others to, to join us. So coming to the current crisis, the pandemic, how do you see that we could jumpstart the economy, the, the economy that have ecology on top and not finances post-COVID? From your perspective, how do you see, do you see the, the, the goals of the Club of Rome, the environmental governance and, and, and criteria being implemented more or less now that we have the, the 
COVID-19 crisis and as we move toward implementing jumpstarting the economy and, and uh, creating jobs do you what is your perception do we go back to the old or are we making progress with respect to implementing a more integral way of creating the economy i see three different points to be considered two positive one negative the negative one is people tend to be lazy and think oh let's go back into the comfortable situation of last year and that is reactionary. On the other hand, the positive things are following. We have learned the hard way that a lockdown is not very comfortable, but we have survived. If you compare that with countries like the USA or Brazil or now India or South Africa or so, where no uh, dramatic measures were made or were not available. Um, you have m more than a million people dying under very unpleasant uh, circumstances, while in countries like China, Germany, South Korea or so, where we took it serious, basically we are extremely well off. But of course, the next point is also basically positive, but we have to work on it. Um, we have to make sure that people's income does no longer depend on overuse of carbon, of coal, oil and gas. Not on an overuse of materials, meaning a throwaway situation. And that requires a change of the frame. And here again, I'm very happy with the um, philosophy at the European Union. Franz Timmermans, the vice president, makes sure that half of the homework for climate protection is the circular economy, meaning reducing the waste of materials, because at the end of the day, they gobble up a lot of energy. So, circular economy, renewable energies, energy efficiency, and the appropriate price regime make us richer and make the climate situation much better. Yes, I, I couldn't agree more. So it appears that we have, we're taking the um, COVID-19 very seriously. And uh, you, you are positive that we're ta taking climate emergency, the climate emergency seriously as well. Is that a proper understanding? Absolutely. I'm very happy that Sandrine Dixon de Cleve and Mampela Rampele, our new uh, presidents of the Club of Rome, have been so active in um, voicing the emergency and then uh, uh, designing a, a program, a plan for 
emerging from emergency, which I believe is a very good slogan and absolutely realistic if we do the right things. So what, uh, what is the role that the private um, industry can play, the private hand, so to speak, within the, how can, from your perspective, how could, how could um, private capital join forces to, with the governments to address these issues? Two different things. One is, of course, private entrepreneurs have to be alert to opportunities of technologies, infrastructures, education, etc., uh, etc. Et but that's what they do anyway if they are good. And the other is helping design a policy jointly with the policymakers, the lawmakers, that makes the progressive avenues more profitable and the destructive avenues less. There has to be a close cooperation between the business world and the political world. And then I'm warning the journalists not to call that corruptish, uh, corrupting. No, no, no. This means partnership cooperation. Uh, if only politics acts, it typically doesn't take care of the needs of the economy. If only the private sector acts, the rules are wrong. So we need both in combination. And that is a new kind of agenda, not lobbyism. Lobbyism typically, typically means tax, uh, taxes down or so. That's wrong. No, taxes can go up, but in a way, penalizing what should be avoided instead of penalizing what is good. So uh, changing the frame, including with other instruments like tradable permits, etc. Um, these are things to be worked out, perhaps with an arbiter in the company also, who helps avoiding uh, too much just business interest or too much, um, well, bureaucracy interests. Um, so we need some kind of a neutral voice in that game as well. I couldn't agree more. And I would like to share with you some my experience with that because I would like your advice in the name of of the listeners who are investors, um, early stage uh, investors and others. Uh, because um, what the problems that we see is that we don't get heard. And how do we get support to get to the government and to those who are making the decisions to listen to those who actually have the expertise in this field? Because currently, these two silos are not talking to one another. Just to give you an example, there are, there are so many... Um, millions of dollars currently, uh, euros flowing into the business to restart the economy. And uh, the German government has made quite a bit of money available. We all know that 
90% of all jobs worldwide, not only in Germany, and uh, between 60 and 80% of the GDP worldwide, not only in Germany, are coming from small and medium enterprises. But those are now that are actually where the money is not getting to. The reason being, uh, the government has decided to have, again, just like the after the financial crisis, the banks being made responsible and do the decisions as to where the money goes and who is supposed to receive the, the packages being made available. And so as we've seen after the financial crisis, the banks are not well equipped to make such decisions for small and medium enterprises because these are the ones that don't have the assets to hold against the money that is being made available. So what is required here at this stage, and I've been trying, we've been trying in vain to get be heard, is a better connection, a better relationship development between these, the private sector and the governments. And what would you suggest? For instance, just to give an example, now we're talking about climate change. Another thing that is not even on our radar is uh, the problems that are coming and we see them coming, coming from the technology, artificial intelligence. And so we have really tried to be heard within the Gaia-X program of uh, Altmaier. And it's just we're not being listened to. IBM, all the big ones who actually don't have the knowledge are stepped in and are the ones driving these programs. But those entrepreneurs and technology people and innovators and creators of technology are not part of it, just the big ones again. So there is something wrong in, uh, in the state of Denmark that we need to address here. Maybe you have some ideas on how to break those silos and, and be heard and be a participant. We have solutions. We, we know how to, um, to scale the distribution of money, to scale um, the decision-making, to de-risk investments. Um, but we're not, we need support here. Any ideas? I know this is a tough question. It is. And as sort of an intellectual, I would say, you business people know better. And uh, advice from my side may not be very useful. And we are working at the Club of Rome also about the need of reframing economics. Today, economics has become very much microeconomics. You know, the accountants uh, of firms, so, which is a uh, useful and necessary thing, but the economy, talking about climate, etc., is a different animal. So we need to integrate the macro and micro side. And then let me say something which doesn't go down well with most economies, economists. It is the question of feedback. I used to be a professor of biology. And from there, I know our body, our living systems are full of feedbacks. But most of them are so-called 
negative feedbacks. And the business world only wants positive feedbacks. It's a mentality question, you know. But, you know, if my blood pressure goes up, I need a feedback to get it down again. And in the COVID-19 situation, we are happy if we are tested negative, not positive. You know, Epidem epidemiology is the science in which it becomes clear that negative feedback is healthy and positive feedback is dangerous. You know? That is something that has not arrived, the mentality of economists. This will have to change. You know, negative feedback means stabilization. Positive feedback typically means um, uh, curves that uh, collapse somehow. We need a balance. In our book, Come On, we also talk about the need for a balance between long-term and short-term, between negative and positive, between women and men, uh, and many other such things. So the answer will not go down too well for, uh, let me say, American economists. In America, since Ronald Reagan, the idea is you have to be an optimist in order to be a good citizen. This can be wrong. It means closing ears and eyes uh, against dangers. That is not healthy. But these are philosophical remarks which do not really answer your question, I'm afraid, but at least uh, give you maybe some food for thought for um, entry points for a healthier, long-termish, uh, climate-friendly, etc., uh, economy and uh, civil society. Yes, well, we could interpret your answer various ways. One way that I would, I interpret it in a positive way, I am an optimist, uh, I can afford to be a pessimist, is that the government or whoever may learn sooner or later that the decision that they took after the financial crisis to provide money and resources to small and medium enterprises through banks uh, didn't succeed. And now they're doing the same thing again, hoping to get a different result. So I hope that uh, in the long term, they will find out. The other answer that I have is, uh, or interpretation for your answer is, I believe that our ingenuity of the young people, the young people, the young entrepreneurs, they get it. Uh, most people, I, I'm, I'm thrilled to work day in and day out with extraordinary young entrepreneurs, young people who see the solutions, who have the solution, who work on coming up with better solutions of integrating. To them, it's not 
understandable why we're focusing on money because they see like you that we live in an integrating uh, integrated world that the world at all where everything depends upon the other so and i i'm my whole life i dedicated it to help entrepreneurs uh, get the funding get the support um, and become successful with their enterprises because they come from a place in their heart where they want to make a difference and uh, so I, I very much hope that we will break that um, Gordian knot. So one of the most important aspects that I appreciated most in, in, uh, in Come On is uh, the entire conversation on mind shift, mind change, consciousness, and the role of um, growing wiser uh, that plays in, in building our future. Uh, how do you see us moving forward and coming up to a level of consciousness where a more integrative way of looking at the world takes the leadership and leads the planet. How do you, I, how do you see that occurring over time? In our book, Come On, we looked at three intellectual heroes of the 18th and 19th century and found out they are systematically misunderstood, not to say abused. One is Adam Smith. Adam Smith was great saying our own selfishness enriches the wealth of nature, uh, nations. Great. But for him, it was absolutely crystal clear that the geographical reach of the market of the invisible hand and the geographical reach of the state of the law were identical. While today, the markets are global and the law is national. So the global markets are blackmailing the lawmakers at national levels to do everything that results in quick money. That's what markets are interested in. This is not Adam Smith. It's a misuse of Adam Smith. Or David Ricardo, the hero of international trade. He was absolutely right that two trading nations both get richer by exchanging uh, what they do best, the comparative advantages. But for him, capital did not cross the borders. Only the merchants and the goods and the services were uh, uh, going over the border. Capital stayed where it was. And then you have a totally different kind of world economy. And today, as I said, 98% of the capital is fluctuating, rushing around the world in milliseconds. And this has nothing to do with Ricardo. But still, the justification of total liberalization of, of trade, quoting Ricardo, 
it's wrong. And then, you know, I used to be a biologist, um, Charles Darwin, he is usually quoted as saying that there is a struggle, everybody against everybody, and this struggle for life makes evolution better. No, no, no. He'd never said that. He discovered the finches on the Galapagos Islands, which were isolated from the uh, birds on the South American continent. And that allowed them evolution in the absence of competitors. That's the opposite of what today's uh, economies of uh, competition is demanding. So, uh, I mean, I could, could go on as a biologist, it would take half an hour. That's not my point. Uh, I'm just saying the new enlightenment has to go back to the roots of what those heroes have been saying and why and under which conditions. And then we would come up with a more balanced kind of um, understanding of reality, of the future. Um, disruptive technologies, that is the um, hype these days in California and other places, um, disruptive is unbalanced. In some cases, it can be successful, but it's also destructive. You know, it's a quotation of uh, Joseph Schumpeter, creative destruction. And in some cases, it's okay. But in many cases, it causes damage. So a new kind of thinking, more moderate, more balanced, more future-oriented, more planet, people-oriented, instead of just profit, that is, I believe, what we need. I couldn't agree more. The question is, how do we reach that level of consciousness? And given the fact that everyone is born at square one, and like those of us who have children see how how slow it is, what a slow process it is, and how much work it takes, how can we make sure that our politicians and leaders in business and others work on their mind shift to include a more global view of the world, because that's, from my perspective, this is what would be needed, rather than local and linear, a more global understanding, and, uh, and also an exponential understanding, because the world has become much more complex. And that's hard work, and it takes um, intention to be willing to look at one's own shadows, and also make yourself available as a leader in the society to address the collective shadows that we have. So last question for you, Ernst, what should be the role of the Club of Rome following Greta Thunberg? First of all, <laughs> I really uh, became a friend of Greta Thunberg. Uh, I met her in person and half, half an hour talk with her was absolutely wonderful. And I think the Club of Rome should um, try and 
not only appreciate her, but in a sense, follow her in saying, we go on strike if destruction is dominant. So, wonderful. But the Clap of Rome should also make use of the more than a hundred brains of us in the Clap of Rome, like you and me, um, thinking um, long-term and holistic instead of just uh, little milligrams, you know, or uh, euro cents or so. I know. It is an integ integrity that we have to bring together, including from different dis disciplines, including from different um, nations, from, of course, different gender. Uh, so it's a holistic kind of thing. And come on is meant to be a um, textbook for integrating and better understanding. And at the end of the day, it's optimistic, of course, but not by uh, throwing out the inconvenient uh, things, but by integrating them into reality. What a wonderful way to uh, to end this um, interview. Thank you so very much. And those of you uh, listeners and uh, viewers who uh, would like to know what the message is and what the solutions are from the Come On, please go ahead and, and buy your copy. I still have a few copies. Um, I purchased quite a bit that I'd be happy to make available to you. Just uh, contact us. Uh, thank you very much, Ants, for being on our program. I really appreciate it. And thank you for your wisdom. And uh, so let's go on strike if, uh, if things don't happen fast enough for us. And uh, most of us, um, most of that for the planet, because uh, our future generation, our children and grandchildren deserve uh, a better place than we have produced on this planet. Thank you so very much. Have a wonderful day and we'll talk next time. Thank you, Maria. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more on Dr. Bosazan and the investment turnaround, visit investment-turnaround.com.